1: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend
2: today. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN New York.
3: Hi everybody and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Now, our discussion of the creeping encroachment of entitlement in sports drew a well, drew a huge and spirited response last week. And with the start of the the school year upon us, I feel it's only logical to pick up and to continue our conversation from last week. On this morning's show. Now, just to refresh you, when we finished last Sunday, we had come to the conclusion that when it involves today's athletes, all of our youngsters, all of our youngsters are exposed to how the top pro athletes go about their elite business. You might recall I used the the classic story of how John Wooden handled Bill Walton's decision to, to want to grow a beard and to grow his hair long. Both were in direct violation of Coach Wooden's team rules at UCLA basketball in the early 1970s. And I tried to counter that example with some current situations of entitlement, most notably uh, that of Kevin Durant's recent demand that either the ownership of the Brooklyn Nets just fire the coach and the general manager or else KD would insist upon being traded. Now I know that Kevin Durant has backed down from that demand, but the fact that he even made it shows how athletic entitlement has grown and grown over the years. Now I thought those two stories set a, a pretty good tone in showing how a sense of athletic entitlement has changed and not necessarily for the better. And I want to continue talking about this today because because like a like an unwanted vine creeping on a tree this issue continues to grow and to grow and to grow and not just with athletes of course but it's where it was, it's there with sports parents as well who also feel that they are somehow entitled to various perks and benefits when it comes to their kids now we talked the other day about the age old debate of every kid gets a trophy and whether this is one of the basics of entitlement with sports parenting and that perhaps That's where this sense of entitlement has its roots. Now, these days, lots and lots of sports parents feel that they have every right to get in the face of a referee or an umpire on a call. Or when it comes to uh, their kid being on a travel or club team, the sports parent feels emboldened to complain, since, after all, they're the ones who are paying the coach for their kid to be in the team. Now, look, we can debate this all we want. problem is... As the new school year begins, I really do worry about entitlement taking over. While its close cousin, the concept of civility, continues to be pushed to the side. Let's talk about this this morning. It goes in all different uh, directions. 877 337 Sixty-six, sixty-six. look, if you've been to your kids' sporting events, you know exactly what I mean. Are we going to watch entitled sports parents verbally abuse refs and officials at football or soccer games this fall? Are we going to finally step up and not just remind parents that they are not allowed or entitled to act like jerks at games, but that they will be ejected and escorted immediately from the game itself? Are we going to hear more uh, hear more incidents where angry sports parents physically assault refs and officials after a game because again, and I know this sounds weird, but they are somehow entitled to voice their feelings and to vent their emotions by attacking the refs and officials? Are we going to see any more racist outbursts at high school basketball games this year, where no one is held accountable? Are fans going to be allowed to make monkey and ape noises, feeling that they are somehow entitled to do this? So here's, here's the basic issue, at least to me. There's a growing sense of entitlement accompanied by a lessening or declining impact of civility in sports. And it's not making for a good combination. And we all know this is becoming more and more and more of an issue. And by the way, entitlement... Just to be clear, it's not always so extreme or so obvious. In fact, it's often much more subtle, where the sports parent does whatever he or she can can to, quote-unquote, work the coach, to make sure their kid gets some sort of special or favorite treatment. And in many ways, this is even more insidious, where, let's say, a dad might try to ingratiate himself with his kid's coach, try to become the coach's best friend, so to speak, in the hope that the coach will then give the kid more perks, benefits, more entitlements, such as more playing time or being made a captain and so on. Now again, going back, when I was playing high school ball, and perhaps this is the same experience you had, the parents rarely, if ever, socialized or interacted with the coaching staff. It just wasn't done. Why? Because if your father was seen trying to butter up the coach, That was, that behavior was seriously frowned upon. But these days, it's become a free-for-all. If I see the dad of a kid who my son or my daughter is competing against, and that dad is trying to be chummy with that coach, well, I'm going to do what I can to make sure I have a similar kind of friendship with that coach. And again, all this sort of begins at the youngest ages. This issue seems to show itself first when the kids are just starting out, when the parents the parents volunteer to coach their kids' team. And for some reason, the word volunteer, which I mentioned last week, it means to give of one's time and efforts for free with no expectations or remuneration. But unfortunately the volunteer coach somehow seems to think that their kid is entitled to a little more playing time or is allowed to play their favorite position or is placed on the all-star team regardless of their ability or accomplishments. And of course, none of the other parents will ever speak up or complain, but they quietly watch all of this and they know. Or then a few years later, a father starts a local travel team. And of course, the team is for the benefit of of his son and his son's close friends. But then tryouts are held, open tryouts, and the people pay for their kid to try out. But the travel team coach never really says to the parents that, well, you understand most of the team is already pre-selected well before the tryouts, but of course we'll be glad to have your kid try out for the team, and of course we'll take your money. That's entitlement. Or these days, A talented kid will look to play in the high school varsity. But the fact is that he or she's been treated as such a rising star in middle school and on travel teams that they seem to look upon the varsity head coach as just someone who is a mere stepping stone, just someone to help promote the kid's career, not as an individual, as an educator who was there to run and to coach all the players on the team. Again, that's entitlement, and that happens all the time. You think this kind of stuff isn't happening in your kid's world? Well, look around and take a hard and closer look. This is the world of youth and amateur sports we now live in. It's become a world of entitled young athletes. And as parents, yes, I know, of course, we all want the best for our children. But we also want them to first learn the values of hard work, dedication, fair play. That's what sports are supposed to be about, not about having a sense of entitlement. And for today's coaches, well, well, trust me, you'll be challenged coaches, but you'll need to keep your core values as your compass. And if you don't, or you give up, you will lose any kind of control you have over your athletes. And in the end, you'll be pushed off to the side. So, again, I want to get into this because it's a deep conversation. It's one I'm very concerned about. And from what I can tell, I have a sense you are as well. 877-337-6666. Uh, let's, um, let's start our conversation this morning with, uh, with Ed Ward over in uh, Elizabeth, New Jersey. Ed, good morning.
2: Good morning, Rick. How you doing?
3: Good, Ed. Happy Labor Day.
2: Happy Labor Day to you. Uh... Well, I'm one of those old school guys. I still coach travel baseball after coaching 23 years in college. Uh, and one of I have two rules when they come to a game. Yep. The uniform must be clean and you got to be on time. And if you if neither happens, you don't play at all. And I, I did that one time when a college coach was coming to see a kid play. Yeah. We, well, luckily we played a doubleheader that day. And I sat the kid the first game but he played the second game, but the college coach stayed to watch him play the second game and all that stuff. Um, yeah. And, and parents, parents will look to take advantage of that, but, you know, if you stick to your core values, things will work out. I mean, I have a rule. I have my, my parents stay away from our dugout.
3: And, uh, if, well, and let me if, ask you this. The fact that those are two very simple rules. You've got to have a clean uniform, and you've got to be on time. Okay. So you know this kid apparently didn't show up on time for the first game, correct? That's correct. Did he have a particular reason, like did you say, "Oh, we had to stop and help somebody who was in a car accident," or he just didn't have a reason as to why he was late?
2: He said, "I didn't know I had to be on time." That was his answer. So said, oh. guess what? I wasn't going to take that. But we're in today's society, Rick. All you got to do, is, and I tell my players, if you're running late, you could run into traffic. Just text
3: me. Yes, of course. Was- or. I, mean, I can imagine this college coach was waiting to see this kid play, as you said, in the second game. But you I, know, I,
2: I, told, I told the college coach, sorry to interrupt you, I said, look, coach, he's not playing because he was late. Good. The college coach actually said to me, I like your values because I want to see how this kid reacts with you with your adversity of sitting him the first game. And the coach watched him in the dugout to see how he interacted. Uh-huh. The, kid, the kid was like a Derek Jeter. Every time we scored a run or someone did good, he got up and greeted the kid. So that that was a big core value for that player to, to find out if this college coach was going to still stay around to watch him play the second game. I'm
3: telling you, Ed, this this is this You know, it's, it's like we feel. I think as as uh, as coaches, as parents, somehow we feel that the kids aren't going to respond well to a sense of discipline that comes from an adult. And the fact is it's just the opposite. Kids do want direction. They do want to have core values hammered into them. They do want a sense of, of what's the right thing to do. So hopefully this kid learned his lesson and said, gee, I, I may have really jeopardized a chance to perhaps impress a college coach uh, because I was late for the first game. And, and you know, I'm telling you, if, if you don't do that or you give in or the kid never learns from that teaching moment, it's, this is all part of, this, again, it's all part of that giant big ball of entitlement that only ends poorly. It's, it's as simple as that. Well... And thank, thank you for that story. I appreciate it because it's right on target. Friends, we're talking about this issue of entitlement and what we're going to do about this. And it all is, goes back, I think, to this whole debate, and we'll talk about this after the, uh, after the break, about, you know, every kid gets a trophy and, and how that started and where that came from and how it's now sort of grown and become part of the athletic landscape. 877-337-6666. I'm eager to hear all your calls and comments this morning. When I return, I'll go right to your calls. Stay with me. We're discussing the world of sports entitlement and how it's uh, well, how it's grown and changed, and not necessarily in a good way over the years. And what we as sports parents and coaches and educators need to try to to try and to rein things in, and more importantly, to educate our kids more about the values of hard work and dedication to the task and practice when it comes to, to sports. You know, in short, this may sound this makes me sound like a, a really really ancient, old-school kind of guy. But uh, in my day, the way it was, if you worked hard and you really practiced your skills on your own and you did your athletic training and you worked your butt off and really showed the the high school coaches that you were serious about your sport, it was at that point that the coaches would then begin to take notice. And I mean, I grew up, and maybe you did too, where coaches paid attention To those young athletes who are at practice before all the others. And to those kids who also stayed later when practice was over to work on their game. Coaches like those kinds of players. And it was by doing those little unsung things that where the coaches really would begin to take notice. And, you know, know, let me give you another example of how how things have changed in terms of, of the high school landscape. Back in the day... I can very vividly recall that being awarded a high school varsity letter uh, as a member of the varsity team was a very, very, very big deal. It signified that the youngster, in the coach's estimation, that you had worked hard and did and contributed enough to the varsity team's overall effort to be honored with a letter. Now, you have to remember, not every kid on the team got a letter only those who really in the coach's estimation really deserve one and it was the coaches it was the coaches who decided who got the letters and they were not influenced by outside sources such as such as parents now these days of course things have changed the varsity letter well no longer seems to be such a big deal that is if, if you're if your youngster makes the varsity team, well, at the end of the end of the season party, your kid, by all chances, is going to get a letter. But every kid on the team gets a letter. The starters all get letters, but so do all the others who barely played at all, even those who were late to practice or who occasionally missed practices, or even those who didn't work too hard uh, in the practice sessions. The end result? Well, to me, it looks like receiving a high school varsity letter doesn't seem to be a big deal anymore but of course every coach needs to make sure that every youngster on the team on the roster gets one and why do coaches do this (laughs) well because they don't want to deal with angry sports parents who feel that it's not fair that that their kid didn't get this kind of reward even if the kid didn't do much to deserve it the bottom line the once highly desirable and highly regarded varsity letter has become so commonplace that I wonder whether we're at the point now we no longer need to even have them. <laughs> that's That may sound like a radical idea, and I know it will never happen, but it does seem that in much the same way that every kid gets a trophy when they're younger has now spread and grown to the high school varsity level as well. Every kid in the team gets a varsity letter. 877 337 6666. What do you think about this? Let's, let's go to our callers. Let's start with, uh, let's start with Jack Smithlin over in Fairlawn this morning. Jack, good morning. How are you?
4: How are you, Rick? Good. Um, first of all, your, your varsity lettuce story was excellent. Um, you know, and it, and it goes back to the jackets, too. You know, you could only wear a varsity jacket when you made the varsity team and played on the varsity team. Now, kids, before they even get into school, they're buying varsity jackets, putting their names and their sport on the back, which is, which is okay. You know, you identify as an athlete. But back when I was, you know, I mean, you and I are the same age. But back when I was in high school, you couldn't get a varsity jacket unless you made the varsity team. Correct. So, you know, things are, things are different. But at the beginning of your, your monologue, your intro, you said – School's back, and my first quick story is real quick, and it's, it's a good one. Um, I was teaching in, 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 in Keenick, and our high school, you know, I was kind of like the head of the department, a phys ed, both high school, and, you know, I was like the old guy. I mean, nobody gave me a title or anything, but so I had a young teacher from the high school come to me and said, I need your advice. I said, what's the matter? She said, he, he said that the principal came to me and wants me to change one of my uh, students' grades. I said, what? I, I Change the grade? Did they earn the grade? No. The parent came in and said it doesn't look good on their transcript. I said, I'm going to tell you right now, my question you your job, but stick to your guns. This kid doesn't earn that grade. Don't you give it to him. All right? Mm-hmm. You fight for this one. You know what? You might lose. And if you lose, just, you know, let it go. But give it a, give it a back. Give it a fight. So even in, you know, in the world, entitlement is big you know but the story that i wanted to tell you was i had a girl that was a pitcher of mine another pitcher story it seems to be these pitcher parents are all psychos but you know the funny thing about it is is that this kid was a phenom coming up and she was great she was my starting pitcher and we were playing a team that was undefeated. They were ranked number one in our division. We were number two. They were 16-0 at the time, and we were 14-0 at the time. And I thought we, we had a better team. And we're playing this team. We're beating them 2 nothing. And in the third inning, I give a signal to my catcher. She gives it to the pitcher. The pitcher shakes it off and looks up into the stands. I call timeout. I walk out. I talk to my pitcher. I said, listen, I'm your coach. Your dad is not your coach anymore. I'm your coach. Okay, Mm -hmm. sorry, coach. Sorry, coach. Things go by. In the fifth inning, she walks the first batter, hits the second batter, strikes out the next two batters, and the number four hitter gets up with the tying runs on base. She looks at me. She looks at the catcher. She shakes it off. I walk. Now she's pitching a no-hitter at the time. I walk out. I put my hand out. She hands me the ball. She goes, I'm sorry. I said, I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed in you. Go sit down, and we'll talk about it later. Her father goes berserk in the stands you're taking him out during a no-hitter and i'm just trying to ignore it he met me at our bus this was an away game he met me at the bus i told him not now he stuck his finger in my chest he, I got back to the school He was waiting for me at the bus well he went and got the the new brand new um ad's ear and i was not invited back to to coaching the following year all right I knew what had happened. This guy had started, you know, got into the, you know, got into the AD's ear and, you know, and, you know, we fought it and, you know, I resigned from that school. I walked away from the school, but the point is, is that parents think, you know, once you know, like you were talking before, you know, this kid was pitching a no hitter and we wound up losing the game. We wound up losing the game three to two or four to two or something like that. And, You know, the father's yelling, you lost this game for us. You know, I'm just trying to ignore it and trying to ignore it. You know, when he stuck his finger in my chest, that was a different reaction I had. But the point is, is that who does this person think he is? You know, he coached her all the way through minors and all the way through rec ball and travel ball. But, you know, now she's at a different level. And this guy thought he was entitled to call his daughter's pitches during a game. So... When you talk about entitlement, you hit it right on the
3: head. <laughs> I mean, it that goes that's, back to the
4: parents.
3: It that's exactly parents. Uh, that's a classic story of, of entitlement because, after all, this dad uh, clearly felt that, um, after all, he had spent a lot of time developing his daughter into uh, a fine pitcher and so on and so forth. But for whatever reason, even though you had told the girl that, you know, I'm the coach now, I'm the one that basically decides who plays and, and makes the calls on pitches and so on and so forth, and she's still listening to getting uh, communications from her father in the stands, that can't happen. And yet that happens all the time. So as a coach, either you have to decide, okay, uh, I'm just gonna let this continue and just, uh, you know, basically, you know, you know, let this continue on and not get involved and let the, the kid and the father run the, the kid's uh, career, or I'm basically going to say, no, I'm going to take you out of the game. As you said you to the girl that you, were, you weren't angry at her, but you were disappointed at her. She seemed to get that point. I mean, she becomes sort of the, the caught between the crosshairs here between the father and the coach. But the, and then, of course, the second part of the story is that the AD, who, as you said, must have been relatively new, didn't know what to how to react. So basically, I'd rather have the parents be happy than, than I can always get a new softball coach. And that's what happens. Correct.
4: Exactly. Exactly what happened. And, and the point is, is that, you know, the board, you know, I, I, I met with the board president and he asked me, I told him that I was leaving and he says, please don't leave. Things are happening. We're not allowed to talk about it. You know, but I resigned. I resigned and I actually went back to Fairlawn for another stint at Fairlawn. But, but this person, this AD was fired about a month after I resigned and and, I've, and I already accepted, a, you know, a job back at Phelan, my alma mater. But, you know, the point is, is that, you know, these people that think they're entitled to do things like this, you know, and, and that was the school that when I went up there and after this incident, the very, you know, after this incident, um, I brought my that was the school where I started my contract yep. and parents had to sign it. Kids had to sign it, and the athletic director had to sign it, and I had to sign it. And there were certain rules for parents, too. Don't interfere during games. Don't ever talk about another player's, a player's name in a meeting. And don't ever talk to me about playing time. Those were the three golden parent rules. And the point was is that he broke one of those rules. Now, the AD had signed the, the, the contract, but he didn't fulfill his requirement to what he signed. So. You know, he got, like you said, and I hit and you hit it once again right on the head. He didn't want the parents' problem. He didn't want that parent starting a posse. And I don't know how far he would have got with the posse because I had a great team that year with great parents. This guy thought he was – and he was a good guy too, you know, before this incident. And, you know, he thought that he could still control his daughter at that level. You know, and, you know, when I left there uh, about two or three months later, I called him. And I spoke to him and I told him, you know, that when she gets to that and she went on to be a very good college pitcher, um, you know, there, there are there are no things like that happening at the college level. If you ever try to interfere like that, you know, you're, you'd be gone probably. <laughs> but, you know, the the point is, is that, you know, these parents, they just think, you know, we, we talked about helicopter parents and bulldozer parents, you know, doing whatever they can to protect their kids and make sure. But changing a grade on a uh, uh, you know well, <laughs> oh it looks bad on my on my daughter's transcript you yeah, know or my son's transcript he has all a's but a b in phys ed
3: <laughs> this get is, out of here you, I, I, but but jack this is why i mentioned before about the the idea that this other that the cousin uh to the sense of all this of core values is civility and i don't know when this changed i can't pinpoint a day or a year but certainly there was a turning point at some point where the sense of civility all of a sudden got pushed off to the side and was forgotten about. As always, you said, a parent going to a teacher and saying, look, um, why can't you change, or, or you a know, parent going and saying, you got to change my kid's grade. Why? How, how can you make that kind of demand? How is that even possible? Uh, or a parent saying look, uh, you're the coach no question about it I'm just going to help my kid uh, give her signs from the stands because uh, she's a good pitcher and i'll I'll make sure that she'll play even better uh, if you allow me to give the signs to her I mean when when did this all change and it just as I said it it was a, a, a turning point that has not has caused all sorts of issues and uh, you talk to any athletic director uh, <laughs> you know in any state in the nation they'll tell you this is what where we are today and it's hard how does an AD say, well, how do I back up my coaches when I have these parents breathing down my my back and are going right over my head to the principal or to the school board demanding that the AD get fired? It's just out of control. Um, I, it, it's really weird and and uh I don't know how we get this back because I, I don't see anything on the horizon and Jack maybe you don't either uh, as to what's going to take place next to turn this back turn back the tide. But it's it's really you know, the, it's out of the, out of the, the horses are out of the barn, to use an old metaphor, simple as that, you know?
4: Well, also, you know, the, the AD had an opportunity to make it a, a learning yep. moment, and he yep. didn't. Yep. You know, if I had, I'm going to tell you, I, I always mention the two ADs, you know, Tom Valenzola and Glenn Noto. If I had one of those, if one of those ADs were at that school at the time, um, the results would not have been the same. I guarantee you 100%. The results would not have been the same. It oh, would have you. backed me and your coaches 150%. Yeah. So.
3: Jack, thank you for those anecdotes. They, they really, as yeah. you say, are right on target and much appreciated. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Okay, we're talking, obviously, about what's happening, and I think what's driving all these concerns that we're hearing about this morning, about the the sense of entitlement. Yes, of course, we all want our best for our children when it comes to sports, but there there are certain boundaries that we seem to have just overrun in terms of getting into the face of the coach uh, at the high school level or basically setting up situations where we know our kid is going to be basically singled out and given special perks and benefits uh, because perhaps we're the travel team coach. Uh, Whatever it might be, the fact is it's really had a tremendously traumatic impact on, on youth and amateur Sports in this country. And as I just mentioned, an example before, and Jack mentioned as well, there was a time, wasn't that long ago, where getting a varsity letter or getting a varsity jacket was a huge deal at the high school level. Those days have just sort of disappeared. Uh, Just like everybody gets a trophy when they're starting out and they're six or seven years old, by the time they're on the varsity team, uh, they get a letter or a jacket. I mean, it just it just shows you that things have sort of become diluted in terms of the basic core values of hard work, dedication, trying to achieve something before you, before you get awarded. And that's I think what we're talking about here: the sense of like anticipation of, of of entitlement. No, first do something, win something, achieve something, impress the coaches. Coaches who are not related to you, they're outside your family they're just like the same way you impress your teachers once you achieve something, then you can get some some no no uh some notoriety or get some citations or awards but first you got to do it, and you got to do it through hard work all right I, this is an interesting topic, and i'm cu- curious to get more of your thoughts uh again we'll we'll, we'll take more of your calls at eight seven seven three three seven when I come back after the commercial break, we'll talk a little bit also about a recap or summary note about Little League Baseball and talk about what happened in a a volleyball match between Duke University and BYU. Okay, back with more after this. Back here on the Sports Edge, a couple of quick notes. Uh, First of all, you can always uh, follow me on Twitter at at AskCoachWolf, where you can get updates on what next uh, Sunday's show is going to focus on. And with the start of the new NFL season, just an important programming note, starting next Sunday, that's uh, September 11th, Sports Edge will start at 7 a.m. instead of 8 a.m. Now, yes, we'll go for the entire hour, but again, next Sunday, set your alarm clocks for 7 o'clock. And of course, if you happen to oversleep or you miss the show, you can always replay it by finding the podcast link on WFAN.com. Or by going to askcoachwolf.com and finding the the podcast my show there. Okay, before we get back to our calls about entitlement, one quick follow up note regarding Little League baseball. In in the game that was played last Sunday on ABC, which was the international championship uh, game between Curacao and Hawaii, you might recall the pitcher for Curacao threw a pitch uh, in the middle of the game, and then. Very sort of suddenly, we all watched as the kid slowly collapsed to the ground in pain, and no one knew what had happened to the youngster. Uh, medical personnel came out uh, right away, and he was removed uh, from from the mound, but he was clearly in pain. He was not doing well, uh, but then we kept waiting for some sort of update as to what what had occurred. Did, did he hurt his arm? How badly was he injured? Was he having some sort of mental health episode? And of course, there's a matter of privacy. The kid's only 12 years old. But please, ABC or or, or Little League, tell us what happened to the young man because they never really gave us any kind of decent update. So, you know, I, I was still curious about this. So I, I decided to reach out directly to Little League via their media portal on their website to get an update, because I couldn't find anything online about the boy's health. I sent an email to Little League last Thursday, and as of this morning, I'm still waiting for a response. Now, you know, most of the chatter uh, on social media was that it looked as though the kid had hurt his arm, and if that's true, then you always wonder about whether he perhaps threw too many curves and sliders, uh, or that perhaps his elbow ligaments had, had been strained or gave out. Again, if that's why the kid slumped and then lay on the ground, I really do wonder how Little League will address this issue of whether or not he hurt his arm. Or perhaps Little League will say nothing at all. I'm curious. Have any of you heard about this kid's status? I'm just wondering how he's doing. And then another quick and a very sort of odd, distressing note from the world of college volleyball where the Duke University women's team was playing at Brigham Young University this past week. And during the match... One of the Duke players, a sophomore named Rachel Richardson, who happens to be black, was heckled repeatedly by someone in the stands about her race. Now, she heard it clearly, heard it a few times, told her coach. The Duke coach then told the officials working the match, as well as the BYU coaching staff. But inexplicably, nothing was done. No one from BYU or the officials stopped the match to issue either a serious warning to the stands or something to make sure that this kind of racial taunting stopped immediately. Rather, the volleyball match just continued on. And I'm not really quite sure why BYU didn't take a moment to intervene and to warn the fans to behave appropriately. That, at least in my opinion, should have been done. And yet it wasn't. Anyhow, the very next day, uh, Rachel Richardson was met by the BYU AD, who was profusely apologetic, and she also heard from numerous members of the BYU volleyball team as well, all of whom were embarrassed and obviously uh, apologetic as well, even though, of course, they had nothing to do with this. I don't know. This incident made me reflect, how would a school around here respond if any opposing player who, who was black happened to be taunted during a game because of the race? Would the a host, school, a team, officials, or coaches stop the game, address the fans. Hmm. Yeah, we know about this. All right, eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let's continue with the calls. Let's go down to Philadelphia, where Chris is standing by. Chris, good morning. You're on the fan.
0: Hey, thank you so much for taking my call on this beautiful Sunday. I wanted to um. I wanted to chime in on the varsity jacket letter subject, and I, I have another personal experience from when I was in college about a similar situation to something that happened with the, um, the volleyball teams about the heckling of the student of color. And if, if you're willing to hold on to my call, I want to chime in on that also.
3: Go, go ahead, Chris.
0: Yep, so when I was in high school, I, um, I subbed in for, a varsity, for the varsity game, and I only made a couple of games. My junior year. I was, to, I was slated to play my senior year as well. Broke my elbow in three spots, and that's pretty much where my baseball career ended. Got it. Um, I did not get a varsity jacket for that. This is dating back to um, 2015. Uh-huh. And um, in my same high school, in the Central High School um, in Jersey, um, performing arts was receiving varsity jackets. Uh, yearbook group was receiving varsity jackets. So I I just wanted to ask for your opinion on that because it seems like it's it's a little backwards. I mean, I understand that those jobs are still a part of the school culture. But at the same time, you know, I didn't receive that varsity jacket when when it seems like students that did little to represent the actual sporting community of the school Mm -hmm. were receiving those those letters. And I I wanted to sort of back up your claim that it seems like the jacket is, you know, I'm a young kid. I'm only 25-year-old. 25 now, and I guess not a kid anymore, but it seems like it definitely has been devalued over time.
3: You know, uh, nobody's done any studies or or has any empirical evidence, but it does seem, as you said, Chris, that it's become devalued or it's become like, oh yeah, everybody gets a letter, everybody gets a trophy. Uh, Yeah, but I was under the impression that people had to work for it and and to earn it, um, and that was significant. But again, it just seems those days have sort of passed us by. And again, you're 25, and you're saying the same thing, it seems like well, I thought this was a big deal. well, apparently it's not a big deal anymore and what what was your other other point, Chris in college you said yep, it?
0: yep, I wanted to jump into because of what happened in the in the volleyball game that you just mentioned. I didn't know about that. I didn't hear about that news, but um when I went to school, I went to school in uh north Northern Virginia and at uh James Madison University uh-huh. and um it wasn't at a volleyball match, but it was at a basketball game, and we were playing Virginia State University, which is a Almost a historically black college, right, or uh, college or university, and there were other J&U students. They were visiting at us, and it was in our uh, it was in our basketball arena. Mm-hmm. And something something very similar to what happened with the volleyball player um, from the students of Brigham Young, where you know racial slurs were being thrown at that student in a very close match down the wire. And I wanted to jump into that very briefly because. The university that I attended completely just swept it under the carpet. It seems like they, you know, at the universities, especially not only with these racial things that are happening at games and at arenas, but also with other, you know, intense cases as well, Um, you know, with students. I don't want to jump in it deeply, but, you know, students being assaulted on campus, women being taken advantage of on campus. And, you know, these universities, they make so much money that they just have the power to just sweep it under the carpet. And it's honestly devastating because it's driving the students away from what they want to do, you know, whether it be sports, whether it be education. And, you know, that sort of ties into the whole thing with entitlement because it's not just, you know, some fans that think they're entitled. It's not just some parents of students that think they're entitled. But unfortunately, it's some of these programs, too, that have the power to, to feel it. some sort of entitlement.
3: Yeah, Chris, I I do think there's there's, there's certain links here uh, involved in all this. Um, And and thank you for chiming in this morning. Uh, I will say this, though, with, with... uh, I, I get very concerned, as you mentioned with the, the James Madison and his incident down there, uh, the schools, the coaches, uh, the administration, they have to now be proactive, understand that these things are going to take place where somebody uses a, a racial slur uh, at an event, they have to be prepared as to what we're going to do. And I think the first thing you do is you, A, try to pinpoint who was the person who you know, basically gave voice to these awful thoughts. And that person obviously has to be, you know, brought into custody and so on and so forth. But B, this is the perfect opportunity for the coach, the AD, to stop the game and just say, look, we apologize profusely. Uh, and this is not the way we do business here at this, at this school or high school or college. And we just don't stand for these kind of situations. But to just as sort of, as you say, swoop it under the rug or uh, like I said like, uh, afterwards at the BYU, oh, we, we think we found the kid who did this but he doesn't really go to BYU, it doesn't make any difference. If he's in the stands at the game. Obviously, you have to still stop the match and say, we apologize to our, our opponents uh, from Duke University because this is not the kind of thing we stand for. And that's, that should be standard operating procedure along with the arrest of, of that person and the ejection of them from, from the arena. But this happens too much, and um, I don't understand why this can't be at least have some sort of protocol in place. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on. Let's go to uh, let's go to Joe in, uh, North, in uh, North New Jersey. Joe, good morning. You're on the fan.
5: Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I love hearing your voice in the morning on Sundays when I'm on my way to work. So, um, just a little backstory. I want to uh, uh, touch on the Enlightenment and a little bit on the varsity jacket. I'll, I'll start with the varsity jacket. Uh, going back to last caller, he you know the draw uh, you know people in the drama club were getting varsity jackets, and that used to kind of like. I don't know, bother me a little bit. Okay. Uh, As a wrestler, I like worked his, (laughs) you know, his ass off to get his spot on the team, you know, because there's only one spot that you can get uh, at specific weights. But, you know, that's, uh, that used to bother me, you know. Drama kids, you know, like he said, uh, the, the, uh, the yearbook club. Whatever, not my problem anymore. Yeah, but, but yeah,
3: that, that's just, um, that's how it's going to go these days. I understand that. But, yeah, everybody knows that the, the, the genesis of, of varsity jackets came from the sporting world, not from the the drama world or, or the or the band or the orchestra. I right. get all that. Okay.
5: But uh, a little uh, – going back, I think his name was Jack Caller, uh, the coach with the, with the parent problem. Yes. I actually was uh, the one in the middle at one point. So when I was wrestling in, in high school – I think there was a problem where the the girl and the parent didn't respect the coach because I had the same issue. And when you're on the mat, you can only hear voices. Yep. And my dad's voice was very distinct. He was my coach my whole life up until high school. And when I was a freshman, there was a specific match where I, I did listen to my father's voice more than my coach. And after that match, my coach went up to me and said, you need to speak to your father and tell him to stop that. <laughs> so <laughs> I went up to my father and you know he he didn't he he completely understood, and he's like, "Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right." And at that point on, my dad, you know if it was a a tournament where my coach might have not been there, I had the assistant coach and my other there was a there was a chemistry there, and it, it was the, the respect that you know he was my coach. We respected that he knew better. He was in the room every day with me. Other than my dad, who was at work during the days, you know, it's just well. That's I, that's the, the lack of respect out there is just gone.
3: Yeah, I think that, and I'm glad you shared that story this morning, uh, Joe, because that's a happy ending. Because obviously, your father and the coach and you all got on the same page, and that's good. But again, the concern about the respect for the coaches, you, yeah, that that is a growing part of this whole issue. Joe, thank you for the call this morning. And uh, let me go next to, to Rob Freed out in Lake Success before uh, we run out of time this morning. Rob, good morning. I only have a couple of minutes, but uh, I know you have some thoughts you want to share with us.
6: Thank you, Rick. I'm glad you got me in here and listening to Jack and some of the uncallers callers and uh, the baseball story as well. Uh, I was, was kind of floored watching that on television I'm just going to read a quick paragraph and a quick story on failure, which I think is important along these lines. I found this online at Dr. Hodel, and it pretty much sums up this topic. He writes, "I'm old school on this one. I think participation, competition, teamwork, and enjoyment should be its own rewards for participating in sports." I say, "Skip the additional fee for the trophy and have a team banquet at a Dairy Queen." I believe that a coach, parent, and teammates can do a better job of improving self worth throughout the more important throughout the season. Okay, more important than trying to give a, a child self esteem via a ribbon. Learn to lose with dignity. Applaud those that bested you and work hard to improve. I believe these lessons will translate from the athletic field to school, college, and a career in life. This is everything you talk about while your show is so important because it's about life lessons. Quick story about failure. In, when I was in college in 1982, I ran my first marathon in Penn Relays. I got to the 24-mile mark, and I hit the wall, what we talk about. Sure. And I completely was exhausted. What the wall is, you're completely fatigued. I could not – I only had two more miles to go, and I wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and the top 25 people got a medal. Yeah. Well, I had to walk, run it in the last two miles, did break three hours, ran 257, but did not get my qualification for Boston, and I did not get my medal. But – Six months later, I ran the New York City Marathon, learning from that failure, learning from what I experienced, trained properly, and I was able to now run 238 in New York, qualify for Boston, and that to me was my medal, the common man's Olympics, and basically what this is all about – Participation trophies, yes, at a very young age. I said it last week last week, Rick. It's important for the youth of the world to maybe when you're learning and going through the early stages of sports, yes. But failure, learning life lessons through sports. This is what this is all about. And you could lose you can learn so much through failure as well as success. And I think that's my contribution today. I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to be a phys ed teacher. Go through the physical education, coaching, teaching. It's part of the, some of the greatest experience of my life, and I carried it through life. And your show is is brings me back to that part of my, of my, my young adulthood life, and I'm, hopefully, I I add to your show every week.
3: Well. Rob, absolutely. And I was just gonna say, uh, you really sort of nailed it on, on, on the on, on the head here because the fact is if you have, if you're a sports parent and you want your kid uh, to succeed in sports, you as a parent have to introduce them and get them comfortable with the idea that they're going to learn more from when they lose or when they fail in sports than when they win. And that's just a basic tenet that every coach will tell all their, their athletes, no matter what level they play at. And that's the truth. It's true for all of us who have been involved in sports over the years. Okay, that's gonna do it for me and this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks to Ed Arzuman, the zoom Man this morning. And don't forget, next up is Kim Jones talking about the NFL. I will see you next Sunday, bright and early, at 7 a.m. I'll see you then.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild.